0: And we want to pick up our study in verse 17 uh, through verse 16. We want to look at this area, the good servant of Jesus Christ. Now let me just set this up because uh, verses 1 through 6 is what we did previously. Paul had warned Timothy uh, at the church at Ephesus because that's where he was the pastor. He warned him in the area of apostasia. And so Paul encouraged that area that we guard our hearts against becoming an apostate. And the word apostasia means falling away from the faith. Leaving your first love, which is Christ. Now there was a reason that Paul uh, was pinning this letter and encouraging them concerning not becoming an apostate. In the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, There are seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. It's interesting that the first letter that that the Lord had written to, it was the church at Ephesus. It's estimated that the church at Ephesus was about 40 years in the Lord. After being planted and and after, you know, the ministry starts to grow and then Paul placed uh, Timothy there. He was the overseer, or he was the bishop, or he was the pastor of the church. But in the letters from the Lord to the churches in Asia Minor, something interesting to the church at Ephesus. Many of them began to leave their first love, and that was his indictment towards them. He rebuked them in that area. You see, after 40 years, the church at Ephesus became Mechanical. We have to be very careful that we don't become mechanical in our service to God. Well, I am a Christian. I've been a Christian. I do the Christian thing. I come in on Sunday morning to a a particular church or my church, whatever it might be, and we go through the process. We have a time of prayer. We have a time of worship. We have a time of greeting. Another pastor comes up, and then there's a time of prayer again. And then we hear the Word of God. We come in, we hear the Word of God, we partake of the Word of God. The pastor asks, Is there anybody here that's never received Christ? So we go through the formalities again. And from time to time, there are those that come to saving grace. But be careful when it becomes mechanical. I know how to do the Christian thing. But that I continue to fall in love with Christ, my Savior. Years back at Calvary Chapel in West Covina in Southern California, when we first come to Saving Grace, we used to sing a beautiful little song. And I remember when the, uh, the worship leader would come out and he would sing uh, that beautiful song. I keep falling in love with him over and over again. I keep falling in love with him. And it was just a, a little stanza that it, it caught on so quick. But it used to just prick my heart. And I had come to Christ and he had taken me out of a, you know, horrid background. And, and so naturally we're, you know, appreciative. Oh, Lord, thank you for saving me. And so we would sing this song, I keep falling in love with him over and over again. And so what Paul is warning uh, to the church at Ephesus and to young Timothy, be careful that you don't become mechanical and then you begin to backslide. You begin to become an apostate. You leave your first love. You come to church like you always do. You say the prayers like you always do. The time of the offering, you give as you always do. But that we would truly fall in love with him over and over. It, It should get greater and greater as the years go by. And so now, Paul, in addressing young Timothy, he comes to verses 7 through 16. And he speaks about the good servant of Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting, if you were here, when we went through 1st or 1st Timothy, excuse me, chapter 3, Paul spoke about the leadership. He first addressed the leadership of the church concerning the elders, concerning the bishops, the pastors, the ministers. And then he goes to the second group, which were the deacons. And when you look at the word for deacon in the Greek, it's the word diakonos. And it means to be a servant. And we came to one conclusion. We can have all the titles, but if we're Christian, we are all servants of the Lord. God has called us to serve Him and to serve others. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. And so Paul encourages now, be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And I look at this concept. You see, I served the world. Some of you served the world diligently. We serve the appetites of the world. We serve the world atmosphere. And so we understand the worldliness that we came from. And so we leave that world possession. Oh, I'm still in the world, but I'm not part of it, Jesus says. And now I desire to be a servant of the Lord. And so this encouragement this morning. And so let's begin here, 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 7 with me. So Paul says to him, but reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself towards godliness. The good servant of Jesus Christ, Paul says, is to reject, listen to the word, It's to refuse, It's to avoid, It's to decline the profane and old wives' tales. Stay away from uh, the things that are profane. Old wives' tales. The word profane, heathenish tales, uh, wicked tales, evil tales. These old wives' tales were coming around. Tales of fiction, myths, tales that are unholy, unrighteous, unpure. But then he says, but to exercise. Instead, exercise, he says. Train yourself, that's the translation, or discipline yourself toward godliness. We should press towards that mark, which is piety in Christ, holiness, righteousness. Train yourself in the things of God. And then I ask the question, well, how do we do this? Through the word of God. Let his word get into your very heart, your your soul, and your mind, and you won't believe the fairy tale. The Bible says we're to test all things and to see if these things are true. So many times it's so easy to believe the fairy tale when God's word is there. We're to believe God's word. Now I wanted to share this with you. Look at the people that are very educated. People that go to the university here. Professors that that teach the students. And it's so easy for them to believe that we came from monkeys. And we might laugh, we might chuckle, but what about creationism? What about that God made man in His image? Well, then we have another group, and it's very popular today, and especially in Area 51. And so people believe in UFOs. But yet if you... Challenge these people in the Word of God that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Oh, that's just a fairy tale. That's just a myth. But we can so easily get caught up. Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world? So reject these things as a believer, Paul tells Timothy. Look at verse 8 now. For bodily exercise, and he goes to this whole rendition of the physical body. For bodily exercise profits a little. He says, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and is of that which is to come. In other words, the life hereafter. And so listen to Paul's heart as he instructing young Timothy you got to understand, at this time, the Greek games were very popular in the early church. We just celebrated the the Olympics in Beijing, and everybody was really excited about it. I mean, who doesn't like to watch the, the Olympic games? And so Paul speaks about this exercising of the body, the sports events. We're so president there, they're so president today. The Holy Spirit was teaching Paul. Physical exercise, physical training, profits little. It gains no spirituality, but we need to gain godliness, piety in the Lord. It's profitable if I have spiritual gain. Now, there's nothing wrong with exercise. We should all exercise at one point or another. We should obviously try to take care of our bodies, eat the right foods and such. But what is, if if that's all we do, and we take care of the physical body, but we don't take care of the spiritual body. Now look at verse 8 again. We're going to clarify some more. Again, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now as a believer here on this earth, and that which is to come as we prepare to go home to be with the Lord one day. So Paul finishes his his thought in verse 8 on the spiritual gain. It promises reward in both this life now and the next life to come. These are biblical promises, divine assurance, divine promises that God has given to us. We are to serve the Lord now on this earth and much more to come when we go to heaven And so let's go back to this phrase. He says, bodily exercise profits little. We all desire a healthy body, a healthy mind. We all desire to be the best for ourselves and for our family. But what does it profit if we, you know, gain the things of the world? We go to the university and we get our degrees. You might get a a two-year degree. You might get a four-year degree. You might pursue, you know, your master's degree. And then God gives you the mind, the ability, and you go into a doctorate. And so you become the things that you've pressed for. These are all good. If God's given you that mind, go for it. But don't leave the Lord out. Now, I want you to turn to a passage that's a radical scripture. Go to Matthew chapter 16 with me. These are the words of Jesus. Now, I found it interesting when you go to Matthew chapter 16, two other gospels also brought out this story. If you're taking notes in Mark chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 9, you find the same account. Jesus challenges What does it profit a man uh, to gain the whole world, but to lose his own soul? And so he begins here in Matthew chapter 16, the gospel. Look at verse 24 with me. Now these are the words of Christ. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and to follow me. We are not to follow men. We are not to follow the things of this world. Oh, we're in the world again, but we're not part of it. We're to follow Christ. We're to pick up our cross now and to follow him. Now, it's interesting because the cross is a symbol of death. We're called to die for him as he has died for us. Now, don't think of a physical death, but a spiritual death. You die on a daily basis. Now, notice he continues, we'll we'll develop it further. In verse 25, for whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, we must let go of the things of this world and the world system and learn to die to self on a daily basis and to pick up our cross and to follow him. We die to Christ because he's died for us. So then he takes it to that next step. And this is what we've been speaking about. In verse 26, Jesus says, For what profit is it to man, to a woman, if he or she gains the whole world and loses his or her own soul? Or what will a man or a woman give in exchange for his or her soul? It's a radical statement. You take people that have you know, received the ability of good educations and then eventually they have the mind for business and they get into a business and, and the business excels and naturally we want more, we want to reach the top and before you know it, you're pushing, you're striving and you get some of these people that are in the million dollar bracket and, and for them to get onto the Forbes list, the 500 would be an accomplishment. And imagine if you start at the bottom, you're number 499, but as you keep going and you're progressing and your business is growing and and, and all of a sudden you're halfway now, or you make it to the top 10. But what does it profit a man or a woman uh, to gain the whole world, but to lose their own soul? The world constantly tells us, you know, to go for all the gusto. Climb that ladder of success. No matter who's in the way, get them out of the way. But what does it profit a man, a woman, to gain the whole world, but to lose his own soul? Now, you're a Christian. God's given you the mind, given you the education. You know business. You have a business mind. Use it for the Lord. There's there's a lot of beautiful Christian businessmen, businesswomen. God doesn't tell you not to, you know, follow, pursue your dreams of business. But listen to what he says in verse 27 now. For the Son of Man will come in glory of his Father and with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Whatever success that I have in this world, make sure that I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. You see, when I enter the pearly gates one day, when you enter the pearly gates one day, you want to hear this phrase from the Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of God. And so Paul says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? You've heard the stories before. People that exercise and they run and they eat the right food and, you know, they're up to 10 miles a day and they're fit and in shape and everything. And then we hear they die of a heart attack. I mean, it happens all the time. Pastor Chuck Missler, about 10 years ago, one of his sons, 35 years old, the prime of his life, was an athlete, Christian, born again to the Holy Spirit. I mean, always training, always working. And then Chuck gets a call. Your son was jogging. And the heart just stopped. There was no reason. The man was physically fit. Praise God that he knew the Lord. Praise God that he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we go for all of the things that the appetites of the world... But do we know Jesus Christ? Now let's go back to our text. He's going to take it a little bit further now. Look at verse 9. This is a faithful saying. In other words, what Paul's been already sharing to Timothy. This is a faithful saying. And it's worthy of all acceptance. This faithful saying. The best translation there. This is a true saying. And it's worthy or it's desiring. It's suitable of all acceptance. And what is more acceptable? Then the spiritual matters, then the physical matters. Again, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and to lose his or her own soul that we just read out of Matthew 16? Now, again, we mentioned the Olympics earlier. All of us were glued to the TV in the evenings and such, and, you know, we get excited. We see, you know, the various medals, and we're looking at the count. Are we ahead of China? Is China ahead of us? And naturally, if you saw the swim meets, you know, everybody was behind uh, Michael Phelps, and, I mean, the guy was incredible, and he accomplished much. But let me ask you this. Winning eight Olympic gold medals, what an amazing feat, What an amazing accomplishment by any standard. But what if you lose your own soul? But what if you lose your own soul and you are confronted now with eternal death? So, Paul says in verse 9, this is a faithful saying. The truth of this healthy doctrine, because that's what the truth saying is all about sound teaching leaves no doubt every man has this in his or her heart, the power to put them to proof text, to work as we read the Word of God. Now I want you to flip back real quick uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 15 with me. Again, Paul is encouraging. This is a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptance. You know, again, what profits a man? What is more profitable? We have already determined that. The spiritual things. And yet there's nothing wrong with the physical things. But listen to what Paul writes. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 15. He says, this is a faithful saying. So he's using the same logic. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was the whole purpose that Jesus came to save sinners. And then you have to love Paul's heart here, recognizing his own sinful way. He says, of whom I am the chief. I am the chief of sinners. I am the first. I am numero uno, if you may. Paul recognized his own sinful state acknowledging now that God has saved him. If you go back to the book of Acts in chapter 9, we know that Paul has gotten letters in hand now. He got them from the higher ups and in the hierarchy there of the Sanhedrin, and he's going to Damascus. He's going with letters in hand, and he's smoking. In the Greek, it says that his nostrils were flaring. Paul was so staunch in what he believed. He had just consented in Acts chapter 8 to the death of young Stephen. And so now letters in hand. He's going to Damascus. He's going to bring back more Christians. Put them on trial. And consent to even some of their deaths. And then we know the story. A light shone round about Paul. And then Paul was knocked off of his animal knocked to the ground, but he recognized the power of God. He says, is that you, Lord? Right there and then, I believe, is when Paul comes to saving grace. On the road to Damascus, he was never the same after that. Paul was everything when it came to the law. In fact, many agree that he was a doctor of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a circumcised on the eighth day. He boasted that he was a Benjamite, a fighter. He was part of the Sanhedrin, one of the 71 elect of Israel. They made the rules, the regulations, and pursued them. And so now here is this Paul the Apostle. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Of whom? I am the chief sinner. God came to save sinners, and I am the chief sinner. And in all reality, if you've come to saving grace, you respond the same. Paul, no, it's me. I'm a sinner, and I come to saving grace. No, Pastor Bob, it's not you. It's me. I I was a sinner, and I come to saving grace. We recognize our sinful way, and we recognize that only God has saved me. He sent his son uh, to become the mercy seat for me. He sent his son to become the propitiation for my sin. He took my place. He took your place. And he's given us life, life eternal. One of my commentaries said this about uh, this faithful saying. Now listen. This is one of the most glorious truths in the Bible. The most important that ever reached the human ear or can be entertained by the heart of man. All men are sinners and such condemned, justly condemned. In other words, judged to go to hell. Eternal death. But Christ Jesus, listen. The incarnate God. He took on flesh. He became one of us, but he was still God. He suffered and He died to redeem mankind. By His grace, by His Spirit, He saves us from our sins. What Paul says, I am the chief sinner. This saying or doctrine he calls first a faithful or true saying is a doctrine that may be credited without the slightest doubt or hesitation. God Himself has spoken it and death... Uh, the death of Christ and the mission of the Holy Spirit, he seals us after we come to saving grace. Paul says, I'm a chief sinner. I can declare to you, I'm a chief sinner. God saves me. God saves you. And then he seals the deal. I want you to write down this verse. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul in writing to the church at Ephesus, and again, remember Timothy's the pastor there. He's encouraging that we are saved by grace through faith, uh, lest any man should boast. Then we come to saving grace. Listen, he completes the deal. He seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, the enemy, Satan himself, Lucifer, is upset because he lost the customer. He lost you. He lost me. He lost this solitarsis, which becomes Paul the apostle. He wants to get us back. But the Bible says, I come to saving grace. I acknowledge that I am a sinner, just like Paul. I recognize my sinful way. I ask Jesus, forgive me. Wash me in the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says that my sins are as made us white as snow. He cleanses us with his precious blood. And then he seals it with the Holy Spirit of promise. I I want you to see that. We're sealed because the enemy will come. Well, did you see what Bob did? Did you see what Mary did? Did you see what George did? You see what Martha did? She's sealed. He's sealed by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So important to see this church. Now let's go back to our text. We take it further. Look at verse 10 now. He says, for to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach. Paul was encouraging Timothy. The trials that come, that's part of ministry. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially, you need to understand this, he's the Savior of all mankind, but especially of those who believe. So here in verse 10, as we're describing our teaching this morning, the good servant of Jesus Christ will work hard and suffer much. Paul uses the word reproach here. In the Greek, it says, you will toil and struggle. You will labor hard and strive hard through trials. And you ask the question, because I do. Why? Because we are the true believer in Christ, his servant. We're going to suffer because he suffered. But we have to trust. Listen, the word to trust is we have to hope in the living God. Our hope is not in the world anymore. Our hope is in the living God. Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of all mankind. And then he says here, but especially to those who believe, To those that call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, but especially to those that personally accept him. I love that passage of scripture. In Romans 10, 13, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. That's an assurance in my life. Again, we're in the world, but we're not part of the world. And so Paul says that Jesus died for all mankind. What does John three sixteen say? For God so loved the world that he died. He died for all the world, but only those that accept him. And here's a question for you this morning. Have we truly been born again of the Holy Spirit? Have we asked Christ to forgive us of our sins and to come into my life? Only you can answer that. I can't. All I can do is ask. Now I want you to listen to this verse. Write it down. Meditate upon it. In the book of Romans in chapter 8, verse 34, listen to what Paul says to the church at Rome. Who is he who condemns? The word condemns. Who is he who judges? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Jesus has come, and he will return to judge sin. But we, the righteous, he died for us. We accept him, comes into our lives, and we're one of his now. And the Bible says he, when Jesus died, he goes up into heaven now, he ascends to the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he makes intercession for me, for you. In the book of Revelation, we're, ter- we're told that uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We're accused daily. But Jesus says, she's one of mine. He's one of mine. And again, we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. And then what we said in Ephesians chapter 1, he has sealed us by the promise of of his Holy Spirit. So important to see this, church. Look at verse 11 now. Go back to our text. These things command and teach, Timothy. These things, what we've been sharing in the chapter, these things command and teach. So Paul's encouragement to you, the good servant of Jesus Christ. He's talking to Timothy. We know that Titus would have received this. We know that others would have received it, but he's talking to us this morning. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. If we are servants of the Lord, here's the command. Here's the command to Timothy. Here's the command to us. Teach these truths of God. Timothy, I charge you to learn, first of all, these truths and to teach these truths to others. If you're born again of the Holy Spirit, I hope you're not content with that. I hope you're not one that says, Well, I'm saved, I'm gonna hoard this thing. Man, you should desire to share it with others. You should be excited. In the Old Testament, it says that sheep are gonna begat other sheep. Somebody told you about the risen Christ, somebody told me. And I hope and pray we have the desire uh, to tell others. Remember, he died for the whole world, but only those that call upon the name of the Lord. It's a universal call, but it's obvious. Not everybody comes to saving grace. Now, when we read the Word of God, there is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. If we truly read the Word of God, if we come on a Sunday or a Wednesday, or we come to a church service and we listen to the Word of God, there should be a conviction. As I study the Word, I've given you this before. There are three keys. Number one, when I read the word, obviously, before I read the word, I ask the Lord in prayer, Lord, bless what I'm going to read. Lord, open my ears that I might hear. Open my heart that I might receive. And so here's the three-part portion of reading the word. Number one, there has to be observation of the text. Secondly, there has to be interpretation of the text. So I open up to the Gospel of John. I make that observation. Who's John writing to? What's John writing about? And then I begin to read. And in the first chapter of the gospel of John, John declares the deity of Jesus Christ, the incarnate God. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. This word is Christ. He puts on flesh. He becomes one of us. Jesus and his incarnation is 100% God and 100% man. So I've established the observation, the interpretation. And here's the most important part. There has to be application. James writes to us and he says, Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. The psalmist says, Thy word... Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. So important. Timothy, these things command, these things teach. What I receive, I should be willing to teach others, to give to others. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 12. And Paul's continuing to encourage Timothy. Remember that we considered him a young man in ministry. But yet, we declared to you earlier, and you're going to see it here, in the the Greek, it's telling us he's 30. The Hebrews would not acknowledge you till you were 30. And so in verse 12, "...let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers." How? In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be that example. Timothy, don't allow anybody to come against your age, to think against your age, and especially the newness of him being a pastor. Even though he was 30, most likely, he was still a young pastor. Scholars agree that Peter was, uh, or Timothy at least was 30, He was the pastor there at Ephesus. Now the Jews did not acknowledge you until you were 30, considering you a man. Remember that Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30. The Jews did not acknowledge or regard you as an elder until you reached the age of 50. And so Timothy, be an example now. Be an example to others. The word example, and this is an encouragement to us. To be an example, in other words, uh, he's saying, let your pattern of life, let your figure of life, let your form of life, let that be such an example to other believers. And how? But through the word of God. The things you, you say, let them be of God, let them be godly. And then he goes into this rendition. Be an example in conduct. The word conduct be an example in your conversation. The word conversation be an example in your manner of life. The things I do on a daily basis. Be careful. It's easy to be a Christian at church on Sunday morning. Turn around and greet somebody. God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother. Oh, praise the Lord. But how do you act outside of the walls of the church? How do you act at school? How do you act at the gym? How do you act at, you know, family functions? Do we come in and put on the Christian hat? Do we leave and then leave the Christian hat? Put on the secular hat? It's important to examine. How is your conversation, your manner of life? What about your example in spirit? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Back in Acts chapter 2... The 120 were in the upper room waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit, as was promised by Jesus. And the Bible says they were never the same. In fact, Peter, remember he had previously denied the Lord three times. And now after Acts chapter 2, Peter's never the same. In fact, Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people come uh, to saving grace. And he says, be an example in faith, which you have been taught which you believe. That is Jesus Christ, born, died, buried, and resurrected. We believe this by faith. He gave us life, life eternal. We believe this by faith. And then he says here, be an example in purity. Hard concept in our society today because the world that we are part of is is so hellish, basically. Basically. I mean, there's sin all around us. But be an example in purity. Listen, be an example in pureness. Be an example in the cleanness of life. Let them see, let them hear the clean life in and through you on a daily basis. And that's the walk of the believer. And I'll be honest with you, church, you can't do it unless the power of the Holy Spirit is working in you. Because it's easy to get caught up. It's easy to hear the jokes. It's easy uh, to, you know, take in the cursing. And then to respond, well, I want to be part of the boys or I want to be part of the girls. But it takes a man of, and a woman of God to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse 13. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy. Timothy, until I come, give attention now. Pay attention. Take heed to these three beautiful nuggets of gold, to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. I believe the Bible teaches us as believers that we're to read the Word of God daily. You should have a time in the morning in your devotional where you read the Word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts every time we read the Word of God. And I can assure you, if you're sincere with God, you're honest with God, God will speak to you. God will speak to you. Now, be careful sometimes, husbands. You know, you're reading the Word. You go, wow, this is good. I'm going to share it with my wife. I'm going to share it with my children. That's okay. But how many times God is saying, no, 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 that's one for you. Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Read the Word of God daily. Secondly, Exhortation by the Word of God in a daily basis. Allow the Word of God, the Word of exhortation, allow the Word of God to comfort you. Allow the Word of God to console you. And here's the hard one. Allow the Word of God to exhort you. See, nobody likes to be exhorted. But in the exhortation, in God's love, God's tearing down walls, walls of anger, walls of hatred, walls of lying. Walls of cursing. I mean, fill in the blank. God tears down those walls. Now, but here's the beautiful part. He builds up with the walls of righteousness, the walls of holiness. So read the word exhortation by the, the word. And then thirdly, no doctrine. No doctrine. The word is healthy teaching sound teaching, sound instructions. That's what we're doing here this morning. We're to know the word of God. And when the word of God says, don't do that, not what Pastor Bob says, but what does the word of God have to say? Take heed to what the spirit of the Lord is saying. Now, Paul continues to encourage Timothy. We get to verse 14 I believe Timothy was struggling in his personal call to ministry. And that's so real. You're sometimes tempted, even in your own call to saving grace. He says, do not, verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you, listen, by prophecy. By prophecy with the laying on of hands by the eldership or the presbyterals. So Paul's encouragement here, the gifts that he's speaking here is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul's encouragement to Timothy: do not take it light or do not regard it light, the gift of the call that's in you. Timothy's call to ministry was a gift from the Lord. For the church at Ephesus. Paul reminds Timothy this gift was given to you by prophecy. There was a prediction given over Timothy. They, speaking of the leaders of the church, they laid hands on Timothy. The Presbyteros or the Order of Elders, they laid hands on Timothy. One had to have been Paul the Apostle, I believe. Timothy was going through much trials and he needed encouragement so many times The ministry is trials. Being a Christian is trials. And we have to be encouraged. Now, God gives gifts to men and to women and to be part of the church. I want you to turn to a passage. Go to the book of Ephesians with me. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. God gave gifted men and gifted women uh, to the church. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're taking notes, we find other gifts of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And here in Ephesians chapter 4. But don't forget 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the, uh, the love chapter. The operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our life should be by the operation of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But listen to how gifted men are given to the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 now, And he himself gave some, this is speaking of, of Christ, he himself uh, Gave some to be apostles, some to be uh, prophets, some uh, to be evangelists, some to be pastor-teachers. You see, God gives gifts to men and to women for the ministry. He gives them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the purpose. Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In the Greek the complete furnishings is the word for the equipping of the saints. God gives us everything that we need to everything that we need to operate in the ministry. I like this. The complete furnishings for the church for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Here at Calvary Chapel God's placed me as the pastor teacher. He's gifted me in this area. Uh, Pastor Jeff has been given the gift of administration. Pastor Jay has been given the gift of working with the children. And then there's other gifts that they obviously have. But God desires to give us gifts. He doesn't just throw us out there. We, We can go to all the school we want. We go to our Bible college and, and, you know, we've gone to shepherd school. We've gone to leadership training. And yet nothing can happen unless the power of the Holy Spirit teaches you. And so Paul says to Timothy, stir up that gift that's within you. Don't neglect that gift. God ordained you. The laying under the hands took place. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, get to work. I'm sure that Timothy struggled. There was a group called the Judaizers that were coming in and undermining the teachings in the early church. Now, there are those that declare there's approximately 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I just gave them to you, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and here in Ephesians chapter 4. But... Please, never put the Holy Spirit in a box, if you may. There's only 21 gifts. There's no more. There's no less. I'm positive that there's other The 21 gifts are the ones mentioned. But there's other gifts. God gifts His for His service to the body of Christ. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse 15. Timothy, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident uh, to all. Timothy, take care of, attend to the gifts given to you. The pastor must have various gifts. Timothy was gifted. Paul, obviously, was gifted. The gift for the pastor. I believe there's a gift for being a pastor. There's a gift uh, for being a pastor teacher. There's a gift of prophecy that should operate, a gift of evangelism, a gift of wisdom, a gift of discernment of spirits, the gift of faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus said, have mustard seed faith. But I believe we're gifted with faith. And then faith increases. There's a gift of exhortation, I believe, pastors need to have. Listen to this one. I believe it's a gift. Prayer is a gift that God calls us to prayer. And in that process of call to prayer, God gives some uh, for the power of healing. Here's a gift that a lot of people don't pray for God, give me the gift of giving. Giving. And it's not just your finances. But in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it tells us to present our bodies a complete sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. The gift of encouraging others. I pray that that's what happens as I'm teaching, that there's encouragement. The gift of hospitality. I've seen that gift so much in in the body of Christ. Give yourself, Timothy, entirely to them. Now, listen to the New Living Translation out of verse 15. I thought it was so rich. Give yourself complete attention to these matters, these gifts, Timothy. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. People will see God working in and through you. You don't have to tell people. Man, I want what she has. I want what he has. And and the Holy Spirit prompts your heart. And so Paul's encouragement, we come to the conclusion this morning. And look at verse 16 now. Take heed. Listen, pay attention. Take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine. Continue in them, Timothy. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Radical statement. You will save yourself, Timothy, and save others with good, healthy teachings and that we continue in good, healthy teachings. This is the word doctrine, healthy teaching, healthy instruction, healthy learning, and to continue in it. Listen to the word to continue, to stay in it, to abide in it, to remain in it, to tarry still in it, Perseverance. Pursue healthy doctrine. Listen to what Paul says. Timothy, you're going to save yourself. And you're going to save others. Now, we know that Timothy could not save himself. Jesus died for him. Jesus saved him. But what he's telling him, stay in there. And we know we don't save others, but we can be an example to others. That they would see Christ in us. Go back right now in your mind. Think of that person that shared Christ with you. That loved one that said, you know what, I'm praying for you. You know, I'm giving you the gospel account. Now it's up to you. I can recall, my friend, sharing Christ with me, challenging me. Bob, you need to come to saving grace. Bob, you need to come uh, to the born again experience. Bob, you need to come to the cross. Not in your religion, not in your rituals, rites, and customs, but freely you need to come to the cross. It was a hard concept for me. I was born and raised in Catholicism. I went to Catholic schools for 12 years. I made all of my sacraments that I needed to make. And so I thought I was complete. And here's my friend telling me, you need to be born again. I am born. I'm, I'm saved, I told him, because I didn't understand born again. I was just like Nicodemus. Back in John chapter 3, how can I go back into my mother's womb? Nicodemus was already an elder, thinking, how can I go back? And that's our logic. But that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spiritual. We must be born again. There has to be that born-again experience. Now, listen to this phrase again. He says, doing this, you know, following the precepts of the Scripture... Doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Pastor Chuck tells a beautiful story uh, concerning how this analogy fits. And I want to share it with you real quick. There is a story told of a man lost in a blizzard. The man walking blindly through the snow, dredging for his own life, after some time now exhausted, ready to give up, He took several more steps, then stumbling and falling. After a time of resting, he tried getting up, and then he realized the reason that he stumbled and he fell. There was a body of a man already covered by snow. He reached down, and he grabbed the man's hand, and feeling a pulse in him, picked the man up and supernaturally carried him, surprisingly, not much farther, about 20 yards And they both come to the door of a cabin. They entered and received help there at the cabin. They received comfort and care. And eventually, they both got well. They both lived. Later, this man came to the conclusion that by saving the other man's life, he actually saved himself. You see, we're always ready to quit, to give up. And sometimes we just have to go a few more yards. What motivated that man is what he thought he fell over and he stumbled was, you know, just his tiredness. He couldn't see. But when he noticed that there was something and he moved the snow away, it was a man. He reached for his hand. He felt the pulse. And in his eagerness, this guy still has a chance. He picks him up. Didn't have the strength to pick himself up, but he picks this man up. And he goes to the door of the cabin just a short distance. He could have easily stayed in the snow and died. And you see, in our life, God saves us, and he uses us, listen, to save others. And that's the process of being a good servant of Jesus Christ. A bondslave by choice. You see, Paul was a bond servant, a bondslave to religion. And Paul comes to saving grace. Is that you, Lord, there in the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9? Recognizing that the power of God is what knocked him down. I've asked this question before. I'm going to ask it again. Have you come to your Damascus Highway salvation? Has God tugged at your heart? Have you accepted the risen Christ? Have you been convicted by the Holy Spirit? And you've asked the Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Change me, Lord. Transformation. If any man be in Christ." Any woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. All things become new. But we must take that step of faith. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here. Maybe there's one. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's all of us are saved. I don't know. But I'm going to give you that opportunity. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for your word that we're told in the book of Isaiah. Your word will not come back void. Lord, we heard about the good servant of Jesus Christ. And this was Timothy. And yet Timothy had his struggles. Lord, I pray this morning. Maybe there's somebody here. Maybe there's somebody visiting. Maybe there's somebody that's been here in time past. But only you know in your heart if you've made that commitment to Christ. And I'm going to ask you right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, we're not here to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, if you need Christ in your heart, I want to say a quick prayer with you. You need to come to the born-again experience. If that's you this morning, don't leave here without Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. I'll say a quick prayer, real quick. Anybody here? I see your hand over here. Praise the Lord. I see your hand up here in front. Praise the Lord. Anybody else would like to make that commitment to Christ? Not, not to Calvary Chapel. You're not making the commitment uh, to Pastor Bob or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Jay. You're making the commitment to Christ. And so real quick before we close, anybody else would like to make that commitment to Christ? Raise your hand real quick. Praise the Lord then. These two that have raised their hands, let's pray for them. Father. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, as the Holy Spirit tugs at our hearts and we, re- we respond. Lord, it's me. Like Paul said, I am the chief sinner. Lord, thank you for this lady up here in the front. She's raised her hand, not to me, not to uh, Calvary Chapel, but to you, Lord. Lord, you know her sins. You know her sins, past, present, and future. Lord, forgive her of her sins. Cleanse her, wash her, make her afresh, make her new, Lord. Come into her life. Tabernacle within her, Lord. Give her a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give her a a hunger and a thirst for your word. Empower her with your precious Holy Spirit that she might understand your word. And, Lord, we pray for this young man that also raised his hand. Lord, that he would come to that place of acknowledging you, Lord. Lord, you see his heart. You see his hand went up. Forgive him, Lord. Cleanse him, wash him. Come into his life, Lord. Give him a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give him a hunger and a thirst for your words. And, Father, for the rest of us, we pray. We pray that you would just continue to uh, open the windows of heaven and and to pour out blessings upon us, Lord. Bless your people as they've come, Lord. Bless the offerings, Lord, as we uh, conclude our service by praying for the offering as you've given it to us. We give back a portion. And, Lord, we are so grateful. Bless your people now, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name. We pray and we all agree by saying amen.